This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Argyle Life podcast. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher, so please follow and subscribe on those platforms to keep up to date with new episodes. With us this week to discuss the latest on all things Argyle, we have Sam Down. Hello. Josh Pope. Hello. Adam Price. Hello. And finally back among us, Tom Sleeman. Hello. A belated hello from Tom, who's been away for two weeks. Um, let's dive straight in. Uh, Adam, do you want to kick us off? Uh, I should say we're going to be focusing primarily on Fleetwood, because we've all had a chance to properly digest Shrewsbury, but we're going to still uh, come back onto it. So, Adam, do you want to kick us off with your thoughts on the 2-1 victory against Fleetwood? Yeah, I mean, focusing on that game alone, there was a lot to be positive about. I think if we consider the way that both teams set up, obviously the fact that we finally, after all this time, set up with our best midfield three in their correct positions. Why it took so long, I don't know, but that's a great positive to take forward on that. However, it's more the Fleetwood game, I thought, had a lot more to do with how the opposition set up than we did, which in... In the main was the way Joey Barton set up with his 4-4-2. I thought that was an error on his part. They've alternated, as we know, between the 4-4-2 and the 4-3-3 all season. And the way the way they exploited or attempted to exploit us was through looking at the Luton game and going, well, this is a team that makes an awful lot of defensive errors. If we start Chad Evans and Paddy Madden up front, they'll give us a lot of opportunities. I think what would be what would have been a much more suitable method for them would be to look at how the midfield was completely lacking against Luton and then in order to exploit us play their three men in midfield give themselves much more of a stable platform and even with our formation as it was because it wasn't exactly the front six that we always go on about they may well have created a few more chances that being said it was the best midfield thank thank god for that hopefully it will continue to be the best midfield now for the foreseeable future and yeah, as we said, there was a lot to be positive about yesterday. Yeah, there were a few more issues that can be discussed, but as I say, we'll tackle them in time. Fleetwood in the main, it was hard not to be happy, really. But again, there's stuff to work on. Uh, yeah, I've got to I've got to echo his point there. Sort of the way that Fleetwood set up, sort of playing to our guys' hands a little bit more. I feel sort of if you're going to play a four four two formation, you need to have two sort of really direct, pacey wingers out wide, 
and two sort of target men. They did have that in Paddy Madden Evans, but I feel as though they lost a little bit of uh, pace on the right-hand side with Wallace. Uh, I felt that Wes Burns would have been a much better sort of option for them to have if they were looking to exploit us sort of through Tafari Moore and also Smith-Brown. Um, again, with our, with our midfield three of Sarkovic, Ness and Fox, we finally managed to get our best midfield three of the season and in their correct positions. And I think going forward, we need to do that game upon game if we're going to look to build some kind of consistency in our formation. The, the Obviously, the way Fleetwood generally gained ground against us was then by hitting long balls to Chad Evans, who was peeling off and targeting Tafari Moore. Um, that was a quite effective way of getting them forward. But like, like you two have already touched upon... You know, by setting up in that four-four-two formation, I, I think Argo would have probably won this midfield battle anyway, because I think Fox, Arsovich, and Ness in that system were very effective. But it just it made it that bit more concrete. It was easier. Fox was effectively a free man. He was able to nip play together. He made what forty-five passes, I think. So, so Fox was able to rank, rack up the passes. We're able to force them back. And most importantly, the reason we talk about why the midfield's important is that it helps get our attackers into better positions in attack. So when we've got the ball and we push them back, that means Lemiris is receiving the ball you know, around the edge of the 18-yard area. Joel Grant's receiving it around the edge of the 18-yard area. They're not having to pick it up near the halfway line and carry the ball. And it makes them so much more effective, uh, creating chances, causing the opposition problems and dragging them out of position, when they can start in those positions rather than having to pick it up much deeper. Uh, yeah, um, I, I kind of could, could be a bit boring here and agree with the consensus. I think obviously Fleetwood playing a four four two didn't help, but on the other hand, we've you know we've as we've said last week, we're edging closer and closer to our best position, our best uh, formation. Sorry, we you know we've gone from having the wrong players, then we went from having the right players in the right order, and now we finally got the right players in the right order. The results of that were were reaped against against Fleetwood. They didn't help us with their formation, but let's be honest. We played um, that formation last season and we won against all teams in all areas of the league, never mind the fact that Fleetwood was just playing poorly. We proved that that formation is good against the majority of teams. But then last night comes along and we played that formation again and we were absolutely atrocious and got completely passed around the pitch. So now I just don't know what to think. You say that in terms of passed around the pitch. I think one thing that hasn't really been picked up on as much as it should is that the other reason I like this midfield is Yes, sometimes they won't get the ball, but when they do, they're generally quite, you know, they're quite strong defensively. Shrewsbury, they had a fair bit of possession, and they managed to get the ball down, and they used that extra man in midfield, uh, Anthony Grant at the base, to control the ball more. But they didn't really pass their way through or make too many breaks through midfield. You know, we are quite resolute in that way. When you look at their first goal, that's a long ball out from defence that Songo loses the header and they build from there. They didn't play their way through. On another day when, you know, should Songo win that header, ball goes away. That's not to say they wouldn't have scored. It's that you look at the ways they had to get through us, that these were more defensible ways than, say, when we played against Luton when they were strolling through the midfield. So, yes, 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 we didn't hold the ball more, but that, you know, the structure of that midfield made it more easy to defend against them when we didn't have it. Yeah, I, t- I take that point on board, um, but ultimately we couldn't keep the ball either day. But, you know, even though they didn't really cut through the midfield, they controlled the ball a lot in the mid- in the middle third. They were the ones keeping the ball. Just short passes, and we couldn't get a short pass together at all. I know that the it wasn't the very best front six personnel uh, for retaining the ball. I think 
even though I did say an unchanged team before the game, it seemed to be behind. So I do think Kerry and Taylor could have kept the ball a bit better. But even with the players we had, Joel Grant and Ladapo are not terrible players. They should have been able to keep the ball better than we were. We we shouldn't have been that bad with the players we had. Some players just were not on it today whatsoever. Joel Grant uh, yesterday. Didn't, didn't do anything. They played, I mean, Shrewsbury played quite... <clears throat> Tight in midfield and, and his width was, I mean, he, he barely received the ball in the first half. Uh, looking at how he played, I, I'm not sure how much point there was in him being there. And actually, uh, the 4-3-3 might have worked if actually you'd had Carey in, because I know he does does come inside more, obviously, than uh, and, and whichever one of Lemire or Carey's on the left-hand side tends to play more centrally than Grant does. Um, I think it, it just meant that he was... We we didn't get the ball out to him when we had the ball, and because of how narrow Shrewsbury were, there wasn't a lot that he offered defensively either. Yeah, you, you say that about Grant. I I might twist that around and say that that was a failing either on Argyle's part or Adams's part, depending on whether or not it's the players failing to pick it out or if say they'd be given given instructions not to. But like like Adam alluded to last week after Luton, when you when you play when two teams with disparate formations. Uh, play against each other is the side who gets the ball and gets it down that starts to distort the others. So Shrewsbury having the ball pulled in Grant and uh, Lemiris into the centre to try and defend against them, which created space elsewhere. What we should have done and what we failed to do was to utilise our extra width. You know, we should have been feeding the ball into Grant and getting the fullbacks in possession higher up the pitch because what that does is it forces their diamond, the two wide players and their diamond, to separate out and create space in the middle. And that's the space that Sarswich can exploit. The so- space that Lemiris or um, Ladapo or Joel Grant can exploit if they drop into it. But we just didn't do it. And, you know, it just contributed to their control of possession. I don't disagree. Uh, though we certainly didn't utilise them enough. Um, but I wonder if an aspect of that, and I mean, Sam was there, so he's seen as well, the, the quality of, like, the, the technical qualities of the midfield three were absolutely terrible last night. Uh, they couldn't like they, the the ball control and and the passing was was way way off and and it wasn't so much that they were I mean from what what I looked, well what I saw I didn't think that Shrewsbury weren't a side that had this incredible pressing game that closed down all area in the midfield it was it was just so shoddy to watch we just just the retention of the ball was very very poor I thought and obviously you know when your ball retention's not very good. The opportunities to get the ball out wide to winger are, are going to be less and less. So, I think on that point, I one thing I noticed watching back was the way that they appeared to target David Fox, or at least closed him down a little bit more than they did the rest of the midfield. I think they were they. I, I'd say they didn't press like a, a Liverpool, for example, but they did target us in the right areas, and they were a lot better off the ball, in my mind at least, than we were. David Fox gets the ball, they are on top of him fairly quickly. Anthony Grant gets the ball for them. We're nowhere. We're happy to sit deep. Freddie Ladapo's not doing an awful lot in terms of defending. And it gives him Anthony Grant, who, yeah, a decent defensive midfield player, but not necessarily the best ball player, a chance to pick a simple ball out and they're on the, ta- on the attack again. So I would say that they it's the fact that they were better off the ball than we were that contributed to a lot of them having more of the ball and obviously as Nick said with the two different formations that gave them the chance to move our midfield around and gave them ultimately the opportunity to create their chances 
we didn't get anywhere near Anthony Grant last night. I think I think uh, you know a, a good player, but not someone who is an outstanding League One player. Um, but you don't need to be an outstanding League One player if if you're going to give him all the time of the day on the ball. And you can see it so many times. You pick the ball up, say for example, just inside Shrewsbury's half, and there's no one within a mile of him. I mean, Ladapo doesn't close him down. Because of the diamond, it means the midfield three are, are deeper because they've got men to mark. No one presses him and he's got the time to do what he wants, effectively. This is what I found really, really weird about the halftime substitution. Which So Adams opts to go with the diamond, right? Which means that what he did was he asked Graham Carey, our, our attacking threat, to mark Anthony Grant, their defensive midfielder, which is ridiculous when you think about it. what you're do- it should be the other way around you should have Anthony Grant thinking about marking Graham Carey not Graham Carey thinking about marking Anthony Grant to be honest I would have stuck with what Argyle were doing I would have stuck with the same formation it wasn't it certainly wasn't working that well but all it would have taken was for Fox was obviously being pressed in session but just, just something to click you look at the chances Argyle did have a couple of chances and they broke through a couple of times and for the most part they kept Shrewsbury at arm's length it was more, you know, it was certainly possible that you know, one of those chances could have come along and they could have ended up in the back of the net. It wasn't like they were completely all over us, we hadn't had a sniff and they were threatening. It was very much a case of nil nil wouldn't have been the harshest um, score or 1 1 going into the break based on the chance creation. Second half got a lot worse though, didn't it? It would have been a game for Taylor up front as a sole striker, I think. The Dapper didn't. I mean, yes, uh, you know, I got the two chances. That I mean, the first one was absolutely awful. We missed that. Um, just well, it wasn't someone... awful. It, it wasn't a great finish. It wasn't awful. Uh, it didn't even hit the target from where he was. Pretty okay, cool. yeah, I know. He aimed for the corner. He didn't get there. I just wouldn't say it was awful. <sighs> I don't know. A one-on-one like that. He, he had a lot of the net to aim for. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think it was a... It... This comes back to that the same debate and the one that we seem to talk about often, which is yes, Ladapo is going to create chances for himself. You know, to me, it's just becoming more and more obvious that Taylor's the way to go. Um, I would, I want this team to be successful. I'm not really asked if we do or don't have a 20 goal a season striker because I don't think it matters if your striker's got a more important role than just finishing. Yeah, I, I, I'm with that as well. I think whilst um, we said it last week, I know I'm repeating myself, Ladapo will score more goals than Taylor over a season, but a team, particularly a team of our style, a team of Taylor as first joint striker will score more goals than a team of Ladapo as first joint striker. I think ultimately, yet there was a case to go unchanged after the good performance Ladapo and Joel Grant put in against Fleetwood. I think now looking at it, no more excuses now. You go back to the same front six, the same style that put in such a great run last season. You have Fox deep, Sarsovic and Ness a bit ahead, and then Lemires and Carey either side of Taylor. And you, you make that the formation for the Oxford game and go from there. I see. Yeah, I mean, like, like you raised that point about Ladapo. And you, know, you, you just have to go back to, to the Fleetwood game. And you can see all the signs of what we're talking about when we say that. Because... Um, Sorry, Ladapo in that game, in the first half, do you want to guess how many passes he completed? Probably going to be about, not going to be many, isn't it? Going to be about, I'll go seven. Three. Oh, he completed wow. three passes. He had the same number of shots as he did passes. Um, overall, he won three out of 16 headers in that first half. Um, Ryan Taylor comes on with, what was it, 15 minutes to go. He wins eight out of 12 and makes, uh, how many was it? It's eight passes. 
it, you know, these sound like small things, but having that target man who can link up with people and bring others further forward is important. You, you go back and look at the Shrewsbury game last night, for example. The chance Lemiris created for Ladapo. The moment Lemiris gets there, Ladapo's turning is running in behind. He's focusing on getting himself in the shooting position so he can shoot. You contrast that last season with the penalty that Sarsovic won against Shrewsbury. Same opposition, similar dynamic of the midfield struggling to pick it up. Instead of looking to run in behind, Taylor positions himself on the edge, he looks to receive a pass, and then lay it to another runner. It's much harder to defend against that. You know, he Obviously, Taylor receiving it sucks in a defender, he lays it off, and Sarsovic goes past his man and gets brought down once the penalty. Um, Shrewsbury was a classic example of why you need Taylor. Because last season when we played Shrewsbury, we struggled. Fox made less than 30 passes, well below his average. Um, Carey and Lemiris had less of the ball in dangerous areas, but the way we got them the ball in dangerous areas was mostly by hanging it long to Taylor, who could bring it in, bring the ball into play, and get it to Carey and Lemiris in dangerous areas. And he did that for Ness's equaliser. That's Taylor winning the header, Lemiris flicking it on, and Ness running through to score. I think well, yeah we can we can have this debate every week and I'm sure we will but yeah I I, I think in these cases it, I think you've touched it the way that Ladapa's first instinct is to run at goal and have a shot himself in principle there is nothing wrong with that that's a good strength for a striker to have Taylor's first instinct is to hold up the ball and bring another player into play so what we need to consider when we're looking at those strengths and considering who we want to play in that role is which of those strengths do our goal need in their setup at this time. Because I think a lot of people here are saying, oh, Freddie Ladapple shouldn't be playing, Taylor should be in streets ahead of him, and think, we're having a go at Ladapple. We're not. We recognise his strengths. It's just that the strengths that Plymouth Argyle need in this setup at this moment in time are all part of Ryan Taylor's skill set. And not playing him and forcing Ladapple into that role helps no one. So, yeah, look, looking back at last season's run, right? Care, so the. The danger zone, quote-unquote, is the width of the six-yard box up to the 18-yard box, right? So it's the centre of the 18-yard box. Looking at shots in the danger zone last season, one-fifth of all of Carey's shots from that run between the 4-1 win against Oldham at home to the uh, 2-1 win against Peterborough when Taylor got injured, a fifth of Carey's shots were in the danger zone. Two-fifths of Lemiris's shot were in shots were in the danger zone. Both those numbers have halved this season. When we talk about Ladapo monopolising chances, this is what we mean, is that it's not that he's just getting on the end of them, he's also not creating them. So, in net terms, he's taking more all the good chances, pretty much. You know, flash your mind back to missing two one-on-ones versus Barnsley, missing one-on-one versus uh, Willie... Versus Willie. (laughs) Missing missing a one-on-one versus Wimbledon. Missing... uh, Oh, I can't remember some of them. Any... It's like missing the chance last night. So many chances that they all fall to him, right? And if he doesn't score, then we're left in a bind because we don't really have another source of goals when he's leading the line. You know, he gets the chance or generally no one does. Yeah, I didn't even think of that angle, but that's a very fair point to put it across. Having chances that otherwise people who are better finishers would be taken. I think that's a great point. Yeah, but it's not just that um, it's either, you know, he's not a bad finisher. He's obviously missed a fair few good chances, but you don't score 10 goals without, you know, while being a bad finisher. He's quite an average finisher is the issue, and, you know, he's sort of monopolising those chances. But it also means that we're creating fewer chances as well, because we've got, 
you know, Lodafa doesn't have chance creation in mind. Last season we had six forward players, five, three principal forward players, and Taylor, Lemiris, and Kerry all thinking about scoring and creating. Now we've got, you know, we're one less on the creating front, so we're creating fewer chances and higher percentage of them going to one person. I think it's a huge reason why a lot of people are saying that Graham Kerry's having a generally quite poor season, because obviously you haven't got that link-up play with Lemiris and Taylor like you did last season, which was obviously so fruitful for us. The way you look at it now, it's almost that whilst Graham Carey's not having a fantastic season, he's by no means being poor for us. I mean, he's not he's not getting the ball back from Taylor into a shooting position. He's not being laid off by these by the, a Taylor-like player anymore. Rather, when he gets the ball to Dapo, the Dapo is obviously just looking to put the ball away. I mean, I, I, I think I think we've said it all, haven't we? Really, I just think he's it, it's got to got to go back to that formation for Saturday. I think in in the game last night, you could understand why he didn't do it. Because, as I said, purely because you, you maybe wouldn't want to change that team and that good momentum. But now that that momentum's now gone, you've just got to get that best front six back in. Um, and I guess the only other change I'd probably make, based on last night, is Riley in for more at right back. Uh, I'd, I'd go Riley in for more as well. Uh, I don't think he was as bad as being made out, um, you know, last night or in general. I think, you know, comparisons to Miller is very unfair on him. But... I I think the the confidence is gone as much as anything else, and he looks battered. And uh, you know, go, going forward, there, there's nothing. A good player might be in there, but I don't think his psychology is right at the moment. Which is one he of the could reasons do I with a a period out the side, I guess, if nothing else. It was a great entry in the comedy throwing competition, though, wasn't it? That, that was <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely. I mean, I, I actually, of course, I was watching that in real time, and I genuinely thought he just thrown the ball down because the referee had stopped play or something. As a young player, he certainly needs to be taken out of the limelight because he's, he's facing a lot of pressure right now, a lot of stick from the fans, especially on social media. It'd be good to just have him take some time out of the side, let everyone scapegoat Riley for, unfairly scapegoat Riley for a few weeks. Um, or, you know, they'll, they'll find someone to blame. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's always the right back as well. It is always the right back. Hell, people were trying to say that Threlkeld was nothing special when he left. Mello definitely got a lot, lot of unfair stick as well. I think, I think it was mainly the play, mainly the playoff final that did that for him. Yeah, let, 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 let's let's avoid diving into our history of right backs because that would be a dip. Go all the way back to Paul Connolly. He was a bit error prone. Is there like quickly on a point Sam made about the unchanged side? Um, so I think Sam mentioned his bit of the point about the fact that the unchanged side was a decent thing to do. I mean, in hindsight, obviously we can look at changes we could have made, but the unchanged side wasn't necessarily a bad idea the problem we had i think was or that we have at the moment is that Derek adams whenever we win a game seems to play an unchanged side the next game i think that there's only been one change from a winning team all season and that was enforced with conor grant getting injured after stevenage so that in turn that makes it very easy for an opposition manager to see exactly how we're going to set up if we're coming into the game on the back of a win yesterday all Shrewsbury Stouts needed to do was say, okay, they've changed their to their midfield. They're going to stick with the front three. We can press David Fox and they won't have an outlet. That's all they needed to do. And I think it's a bit... It, well, it's not a bit. It's very annoying on Adams' part that every time we win a game, he seems to think, okay, that's definitely going to work next time because we know that's not the case. And I think we could go on for hours about how an opposition and the way they set up can affect a game just as much as the way we do. And... Yeah, for me, he he needs to change his ways quite dramatically on that one. 
Time to move on to the quiz round, and this time, by process of elimination, it's Adam in the hot seat. Fantastic. It's the moment he's been dreading for four weeks. It is. Sleepless nights, I'm sure. All the time. For the entire four weeks. That's yep. what you've done to me. Uh, well, let me run through what it is. You get to pick either season, individual, or opposition, and then you answer ten questions, including one bonus point question for a maximum score of 11. Um, Adam, what do you want to pick? I think I will... Bite the bullet early on for my first time and go for opposition. Oh, first one to go for opposition. Stick that one out. Okay. Well, your opposition, a Northampton town. Of course. Here you go. Ten questions. Are you ready? Absolutely not. Let's do it. Cue the music. Not that any of you can hear it. True or false? Since relegation to League 2, Argyle have faced Northampton town more times than any other side. True. False. In 2011, Argyle beat Northampton 4-1. Nick Chadwick, Darren Purse and Maxine Blanchard made their debuts alongside one player. Name him. Uh, one other player. I have... I couldn't even put a guess in for that. I'm sorry. Ashley Hemmings. Of course it was. Chadwick and Hemmings also scored on their debuts, along with Captain Simon Walton. Who scored the other? Are we in the same game? Obviously I'm following the same game. Ah... Uh... Um, Nelson. Will Atkinson. Argyle and Northampton have played each other 12 times in the past seven seasons. Ending this way five times, what was the most common scoreline? 2-0. Correct. Bonus point question. When Argyle beat Northampton 3-2 in 2012, two substitutes scored. Name them. Warren Feeney and... Maxine Blanchard. Feeney did score, but he started. Ah, oh, wow. Uh, the answers the answers were Reese Griffiths, Griffiths and Curtis Nelson. Oh, I've had Nelson how in my many mind. T- Annoying. How many times have Argyle and Northampton played each other in the FA Cup? Once. Correct. True or false, Argyle and Northampton have both won 34 of the 87 matches they've played. False. Incorrect. The answer's true. To the nearest thousand, what is the highest home park attendance recorded for this fixture during the current millennium? Oh. Nearest thousand. Eleven thousand. Incorrect. Nine thousand. Who is the only player to score in four consecutive matches against Northampton? Lewis Alessandro? Correct. In the last 50 years, only one player has scored twice for Argyle in a single match against Northampton. Name him. I've had a mind blank. I can't even guess. I'll go for Feeney again. Sam? Oh, 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 bloody hell. You don't put much pressure on me, do you? Oh, I thought, sorry, I thought you'd know this. It was last Hang season. Hang on. Oh, oh, oh yeah, really? yeah, it'll come back to me. It was that one Sonny Bradley. Correct. Well, not for, not for Adam. <laughs> um, uh, so, well then, Adam, I believe that was one, two, three. Could be worse. Could be a lot worse. There Could were some worse. very fortunate worse. guesses, I think. Yeah, <laughs> once for the FA Cup. That was hard. That was, it was hard, yeah. I think I've done well to escape Oh, seriously, hang on, wait, you, 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 hang on, how many would you have had, Sam? I think I've had about six or seven, to be truthful. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it was that hard. Hemmings was easy, Walton, uh, Atkinson was easy, Griffiths and we, Nelson were too so easy. I, 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 um, I got Griffiths and Nelson, because that was that game where Griffiths came on and was amazing for 20 minutes, then got injured. Okay, that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. We all really hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, ideas or suggestions, please do get in touch. We want to make this podcast as good as we can. 
don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher. Just search for Argyle Life or Green and White and you should be able to find us. Thank you all very much for listening and good night. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.